about God, the creator of all things. You're our Father. You are our Lord. You are our Master and King. You're our friend. Father, we we tremble at the opportunity to come to you and yet we can come with boldness to your throne of grace in our time of need. How amazing. Words can't describe your beauty. Your awesomeness and your power overwhelms us. And yet your loving kindness, your still small voice, your touch with a kiss on the cheek, it lifts our head. And we turn to you. We turn to you. You're our creator. We are creation. And in your presence, we find fullness of joy. This is your house. In fact, we are your house. You dwell in us. You're nearer to us than our breath. And yet you know the name of the farthest star away from us. Our minds want to grasp you, Lord, and we know we can't. And so we come before your throne. We, we, let, we, we sit at your feet to spend time in you, to spend time with you, to hear your word, your word of encouragement, your word of comfort, your word of exhortation, your word of correction. You know we each of us needs, and the same word can be one for one of us and something else for another of us but you love us all the same. It's your blood. Because you washed us in your blood, we now have your righteousness. And we are so grateful. Because we could not come together in unity, in one accord tonight, in your very presence, without the blood of Jesus. Without his robe of righteousness wrapped around us. And for this, we give you thanks. And Lord, for your word tonight, we pray for your anointing upon it as we open it tonight. That it would change us to become more like you. For we know that when you return for us, we will be like you. And you will come for a bride that's without spot or wrinkle, no blemishes, perfect in your sight. So change us tonight, mold us tonight help us to live outside what you've put inside us. So Lord, uh, this is your night and these are your people and this is your word and I would ask that you would uh, use us together, Lord. Lord, we're open to a gift if you wish to speak through a, a prophetic word or or a tongue or interpretation, Lord. If you, if you want to work a miracle tonight, we, we welcome you however you want to work tonight. If you, if you want to minister just in a silent, quiet atmosphere of love and peace, we're, we, we're, we'll, we'll submit to that because you are God. <laughs> and this is your time to work through us and with us to be the potter and we'll be the clay. We'll be supple in your hands and you can shape and mold us and change us however you want tonight. 
and always because you are God. And so we soften our hearts, we open our ears, we open our eyes to see. And Lord, with your help, we will not only be hearers, but we will be doers of your word tonight. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that change is coming and is starting with the house of God. And how a small spark can start a large forest fire. And it can start with this spark right here. Thank you, Father. Thank you for a fresh anointing, a fresh refilling, that we would have boldness to speak your word wherever we go. So bless this night, Lord, as we open your word, as we give you thanks. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hopefully you prayed that prayer with me. Hopefully you added your faith to mine. Hopefully that wasn't a tradition to open up the message, but you were with me in that. Because when we pray in one accord, if one will put a thousand, two will put ten thousand to flight. And there can be no spirit of distraction, no spirit of sleepiness. Uh, God's got a word for us. And I'm excited about it. Amen. I appreciate that participation. <laughs> As I mentioned, we don't have the, the, the pleasure of our online uh, family tonight. Um, and uh, so, so we'll be able to get this up on podcast, but not, uh, not a recording. Uh, but that's okay. Uh, those of you who are here can, can take the message wherever you go. And, and uh, we'll see what God has and how far we get. And who knows, we may be back up here next week. That'll be up to God, and, and uh, I'll just try to be his vessel and his voice for, for all of us, because believe me, a lot of what I'm going to share is new to all of us, including me. <laughs> all right, so we're going to start with a little bit of review. I think most of you that I see here were here last week, uh, so we won't dwell too much on it, but, but our key scripture is Romans 14:17, And uh, that verse, if you can bring it up, Ryan, would be great, just so we can see it. We'll see it often. But the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We talked about the context of this scripture. We talked about how it's relevant to how we live our life today, how we walk out this Christian walk. And for the church in Rome, it was fairly new to them, just you know, dec uh, decades as opposed to centuries like we have, or millennium really. Uh, and so they were learning. And so Paul, obviously, who had a tremendous revelation, about uh, sanctification by faith and what he shared with the church at Rome uh, included these instructions about how to live. And what he learned was the church at Rome was arguing over whether they should be eating meat offered to idols and, and how to carry out their walk, what kinds of things they should do and not do. And, and he said, no, you guys, you know, this is important to do so that you don't offend one another or cause someone else to sin. He said, but what's more important here is that the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. It's not what you perceive to be the old uh, law. You know, the, if the, the Romans were familiar with the Jewish law and they said there's so many rules and do's and don'ts and they were trying to say, well, what are the new do's and don'ts? That's kind of what they knew, right? They didn't know any better. And he's saying, no, what you really need to focus on here is this, this, this righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you get that, you'll see that all the law is fulfilled in Christ and you'll be able to walk that out in a new and, a, and better covenant. 
So, so we talked about that as, as our key scripture, and we said, well, who then is the kingdom of God? Who's, who's in it? And we had a number of different verses to talk to, and uh, Pastor John reiterated on Sunday that some of it is he's preparing us for the, the celebration of, of the sacrament of, of baptism. I'll read one of the verses tonight, John 3, 5, um, and Jesus answered Nicodemus, of course. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. And that, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. So we, we pointed out the fact that, you know, when we talk about being born again, this is not necessarily a phrase that, that is well received in the world. Uh, it's been more ridiculed than received. Um, we love it. It's an awesome phrase because we know exactly what it means in Christianese. But in world vernacular, it means something else. So when you talk about being born again to somebody, you want to talk about, look, you're, 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 you're an adult here, but there's also another realm out there. And you need to be born of the Spirit, specifically the Spirit of God, uh, so that you can enter the kingdom of God. And that's your entrance in. And then we talked about uh, how through that repentance and acceptance of Jesus as, as Lord and, and uh, confessing that he, uh, he is Lord and, and believing he was raised from the dead, then you, you can now receive that Holy Spirit into your, into your heart. And so, so what's exciting about that is, is the transaction that is made when you enter the kingdom of God. We talked about last week how, how God made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to become uh, sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So, so the exchange there is that all of our unrighteous uh, or sinful behavior, uh, Jesus took on the cross and paid the price for it, which made the way for us then to be able to receive his robe of righteousness from a just God who had to punish our sins but wanted us to be righteous. So he put our, our sins on Christ, punished them there, gave us the robe of right. What a fantastic exchange. We talked about that. It is amazing, but there's so much more to the exchange than your salvation. And I think part of the church today is a bit lethargic because we know we're saved. We are sanctified. We are set apart and we are going to heaven. We got ours, man. We're good, right? But what we're missing is the rest of the story, which is evidence of this salvation. And I'll read to you out of, of Romans chapter 8, verses 15 to 17. We have that, yes, uh, thank you. Uh, so, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. So we see this relationship starting that we did with that Adam and Eve had in the beginning, that relationship that was broken when they chose to disobey. And now through Christ, that relationship is being restored. And here it talks about our spirit and the Holy Spirit getting that inner witness. Remember last week we talked about how Ezekiel prophesied that I will take out of you that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So now your heart has a heart of flesh then, then, then is stirred because now the Holy Spirit is in there and both spirits together are in one. They're in union together. They are one. And so, so now you can really sense and feel and receive that, that fatherly spirit that's in you that you may have never felt before. So this kingdom of God is really more than just salvation, more than just going from darkness to light, the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his, of his dear son, but it's entering into a relationship with the one who created you. 
So the exchange, the transaction is great, but the relationship is much greater. And it's important as the saints of God is in the kingdom of God that we spend time meditating on that truth because it can get lost. The world is so busy today, so full of pressure and concern and work, etc., that we lose sight of who it is that's your father, who it is that's inside of you. And so it's vital that you meditate on that. And then, and then that'll give you the, the inspiration, that'll give you the, the power, that'll give you the ability then to start to walk this stuff out. So now that we talked about you're in the kingdom of God, when Jesus is your Lord, he is your king, you are part of the kingdom, and we say, well, then, then the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. So we should be walking in that. That should be what we represent to the world and to each other. We should see that wherever we go. We should recognize a Christian, and sometimes we do. I see that Christ in you. There's something about you. You're, you're a Christian, aren't you? You know, sometimes people say that to you, and you say that to someone else. You can see that the kingdom of God is in them, but the world needs to see that. Everyone needs to see that difference in us. And we talked last week about how, how the world doesn't necessarily see that. In fact, when you ask someone who's never really met Christ before what they think of the church, they'll think about the sitcoms and the ridicule and the, the failed, uh, you know, high-profile high preachers and, 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 and so many other bad things we talked about last week. I don't need to go back over that. But the truth of the fact is that when the world thinks of or sees the kingdom of God until they're enlightened by the love of God, uh, it's not necessarily a good sight. And that... Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, saints in God is on us. That's the ridicule that we're receiving because we're not walking this out right. So we talked about what we need to do. And, and, we, and another scripture related to the kingdom of God is repent. Jesus said wherever he went, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Now he's talking, of course, to folks who are not in the kingdom because there wasn't anybody in the kingdom then except for Jesus. So he's saying, repent, change your ways, because the kingdom of God is right here. And what we talked about last week was that this righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost for us is right here. It's like you can grab it. It's here. You can wrap your arms around it, and you can experience it right here and now. But we're not. Not to the extent that he intended us to. Why not? And that's because we need to repent as well. So we need to repent so that the world can see who Christ is in us and be drawn unto him. And then we read in Revelation chapter 3 that repentance is not, not just for the sinner to come into the kingdom of God and become a saint, but repentance is for the saint as well. I'll read these scriptures again because they're so vital and so powerful. But we'll just read chapter 3 of, of Revelation, verses 1 through 3. It says, And to the, uh, the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things say, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, quote, I know your works. Notice he doesn't know your intentions and he doesn't know your heart. He knows your works. He knows what you do. He knows your actions. He says, I know your works, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. Sobering statement. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Next verse. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. 
Remember when you were saved. Remember the joy that you felt when you first became a Christian. Remember that overwhelming love that invaded your space when you were struggling with something. Hold fast and repent. Why do we have to hold fast? Because there's an enemy out there who wants to pull that from you. There's a world system out there that wants to distract you from it. So hold fast to that and repent. And therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Now Jesus says in other parts of the scripture that you will know. And you will be aware. But here he says, if you don't watch, if you're not repentive, you will be surprised when he comes. And that's not a position you want to be in. So we need to repent. And then, and then we started to break down the word. What does it mean to repent? Repent, I think, if, if I asked all of you, you'd have a slightly different view of it, right? You know, you would think, well, you know, I, I went to the priest and I repented of my sins. Well, no, you, you went to the priest and confessed your sins. Confession is a speaking thing. It's you, you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that Christ raised him from, or that God raised him from the dead. So confession is a speech, but repentance is a verb. It's, a, it's an action. It's something that you do. So I dug into it a little bit and, and we pulled out the Greek word, and I pronounced it wrong last week, so I apologize. I'll, I'll try to do it right tonight. Again, not a Greek scholar. I just dig this up out of the free software on the internet, which is great. Anyway, the Greek word is uh, metaneo. So it's, uh, it's a compound word, metaneo. It's a compound word. That's not anything fancy. Football is a compound word, foot and ball, right? Blackboard, compound word. Well, well metaneo is a compound or two Greek words that have been pushed together. Uh, meta, which is, means, means with or after. And, and, and the, the other word, which I pronounced incorrectly, is uh, naeo, metaneo. Uh, it, it, that means to think differently or afterwards or to reconsider, and in context, when you see the word repent in the Bible, it's talking about, okay, I see a truth. Now I need to think differently about that truth and change how I live it out. That's what it means is to recognize, oh, I see there's an issue. Repentance is usually tied with something with which you have remorse, something with which you're not satisfied with. When you call a sinner to repentance, a sinner, you, 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 he's or she is going to recognize I am not living the way God wants me to live. And so with that knowledge that, oh, there is a God and this God is holy and I'm not, with that knowledge that repentance is, oh, and then I need to change something. Yes, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's what the, the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to his church. He's saying, I've called out a truth to you that you say you're alive but you're dead. And there's a bit of you that is still alive, so you better repent and make sure you feed or breathe life on that part which is dying. We need to repent. We need to, to wake up to these truths. The world is not seeing us because God intended us to see us. And until we change, he can't complete his mission on the earth through us, and then he can't come back for us. And, and, and another thing to remember and keep your mind on is that there's a destiny to be had here. When we, when we were saved, we were saved unto good works which God prepared for beforehand that we should walk in them because there's a destiny. That is that we should bring as many people as we can to the Lord and then he comes back for us. And then all this stuff that we have to battle with goes away and we are with him in glory uh, forever and ever. That's an exciting destiny. How many of you want that to come now? 
<laughs> let's not dilly-dally, shall we? Let's repent and start to do the work that he's called us to do. Think differently. So what I challenged all of you to do last week and throughout the week is to think about this and say, well, what, Lord, do we need to repent from or of? What is it that you're bringing to our remembrance or to our knowledge that we can change? And hopefully each of you have some ideas of what that is, but I'm not going to ask for you to share those. That's between you and him. Because there may be some things that are very personal. There may be some things that are more, more global. I'm going to speak to the things that relate to the church for sure. And uh, we'll share some of these tonight. So, so we need to repent. And the goal here is to remember that, that we're not living out this righteousness, this peace, and this joy. It's not, it's not exuding out of the body of Christ. It's not even with us personally when we go to the supermarket or the workplace the way it should be. So, so what are we going to change so that we see righteousness and peace and joy in us? And how do we do that? And with whom do we do it? So we'll start with that word righteousness. So here is a question I can ask you. This is an easy one, not a trick question. I say righteousness, but if the world doesn't see righteousness, they see something else. They see something opposite of righteous. What do they see? Unrighteousness. Right? That wasn't that hard. Kind of the opposite of righteousness is unrighteousness. And 1 John 5.17 says that all unrighteousness is sin. So unrighteousness and sin are essentially synonymous. Synonymous. Ooh, that's, that's clever. Sorry, my mind goes that way. <laughs> Better have a drink of water. Clarify. <laughs> so we need to repent of sin or sinfulness. So before we get into the meat of what that is, I'm going to refresh your mind. Let's, let's consider take heed to and think differently about these spiritual truths that I'm going to share with you. So remember my definition, our definition of repentance is, is to become aware of or take heed of and then think differently about things. So as we go through these, I want you to look at them as they relate to you and God and the world and think differently than you thought before because these are things that are going to motivate you to repentance, which is a verb, which means change. I love what Edwin Lewis Cole always says about change, and I, I use this at work and I get the, the dumbest looks, to be honest. But, you know, he says change is not change until it's change. And, and I say that at work and they're like, huh? It's like, yeah, if, until it really did change, it's not change, right? So, so it's important that we don't intend to change what we actually change. And God's going to empower us to do that. Right? So, so we need to make sure we understand what he wants us to change so that we're walk, working with him in those changes. You can decide to change something, but if God's not working with you in that area, that may not be where his focus is. That may be a change he wants you to make next year. He wants you to make the change he asked you to do two years ago, and that's why he hasn't spoken to you since. I'll let that sit in for a minute. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll read the first six verses here. And you, oh, we'll pause on this one. He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Remember the verse in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1 through 3 that we read? And what was the rebuke that the Lord gave the church? He said, you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Here in Ephesians, Paul is saying, look, Jesus made you alive who were dead. 
So the spiritual truth is, church, Jesus made us alive who were once dead in our sins and trespasses. But in Revelation, he's saying, look, you're not walking that out in, in, on the earth today, are you? So there's a spiritual truth that's real and true and, and unnegotiable, but there's a manifestation of that truth on the earth that's not happening. But this is the spiritual truth. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Uh, once walked in past tense. You don't do that anymore. According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love which, with, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. Wow. You were dead, but you've been made alive. And you no longer walk in the lust and the ways of the world, in the sins of the world. You're not subject to self and Satan anymore. But it's important to recognize where you came from. Because if you go across now to someone who's living the way you used to live and say, man, you ought not to do that, you know, they're going to look at you like, well, who are you? And you have to remember you were them. So you need to approach them in a loving way and understand where they're coming from and why they walk the way they do. And bring the love of God as opposed to the wrath of God to them. Never forget where you came from. And there's several verses in the New Testament that look like this list of, of, these, of these kinds of sins. Um, so, so, but by grace we've been saved and, and it is not by our works. And it demonstrates God's great love for us. Let's look at another spiritual truth. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10 and verse 16 to 18. This is the covenant that I made with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Glory to God. Now, where there is remission of sins, there is no longer an offering for sin. A similar truth is said in Psalm 103 verse 12. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's good news. If you think about a globe and the circumference, the east never meets the west. You can keep going east and you never get to the west and vice versa. That's how far God has removed our sins and transgressions from us. We were dead. He took away our sins. He made us alive together with him in righteousness. And he remembers your sins no more. That includes your past sins, today's sins, and if you happen to sin tomorrow, he won't remember that one either. He has taken care of the sin problem once and for all. Now again, great to meditate on these spiritual truths because these are the things that bring you joy. These are the things to remind you that the stuff of this world is temporary. 
And that you have a home in heaven where none of this stuff is going to happen anymore. It's, you you got to reflect on that, remind yourself of it, especially those of us who've been doing this a while. It's important to refresh yourself in this. So, so but, but here's my question. This is, this is somehow my, my mind works this way. I'll give you another example, and then I'll do this one. But, but you know, I remember reading in, in the gospel, you know, this says God, God knows what you need before you ask him. I remember talking to my wife, saying, well, why do I have to ask him then? <laughs> one, he knows what I need, and two, he wants to give it to me. Why do I have to ask him? Well, that's like, you know, the potter saying, or the clay saying to the potter, you know, why did you make me this way? Uh, that's the wrong question. But here, if God has taken away the sin problem, what's the big deal if I sin? What, what, what does it matter, right? If he remembers not my sin, well, it, it, why should I worry about living not sinning? What's the point? I mean, it's already been taken care of. Is that, is that logical in some respects? Okay, everyone's staring at me like a calf at a new gate. <laughs> An old Pastor Sam expression. All right, well, let's look at Romans chapter 6 because Romans addresses this question. So even in the early days when they were struggling with obedience to the law and obeying every jot and tittle of the law uh, versus this salvation by grace through faith and then whether or not you could just, well, then, you know, sin liberally because God took care of it. And uh, in fact, Pastor John started working in this, in this very chapter on Sunday. He had commented on how, how I had approached the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, in John chapter 3 on Sunday and then when he went into Romans chapter 6 I'm like well wait a minute I'm going to have that on Wednesday and it dawned on me this isn't his message and it's not my message this is a message from God to us that's good news that means God is talking to us and we just happen to be the ones that have to speak it forth get to speak it forth not have to I don't want to sound <laughs> negative about that but anyway let's take a look at this is like a fair amount of scripture I'm going to read it all to you and then I'm going to hone in on on a few things and, and and we'll go from there so Romans chapter 6 starting in verse 15 what then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace certainly not he, he's not saying probably not there's a very certain matter of fact about this certainly not do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, that one slave, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Let's pause on that one for a minute. Whom you present yourself slaves to obey, whom you choose to obey, you're going to be a servant of that. So you have a choice. You can choose sin, which will lead to death, or you can obey God, which leads to a life of righteousness and ultimately eternal life. But you choose. That's how God is. He gave us that opportunity. He presents the gospel, but he doesn't force people to accept it. You get to choose. And all of us who are here tonight in the kingdom of God have chosen correctly, understanding that we are not free of ourselves. We are not kings of our own kingdom. We are still subjects of someone. So when you were before you were in the kingdom of God, you were under the kingdom of darkness. Now that you're in the kingdom of God, you are under his authority. No longer swayed by the kingdom of darkness because the kingdom of darkness is not 
over or does not have preeminence over the kingdom of light. So you're in the right kingdom. But there's an obligation that goes with that. So whom you choose to obey, that one's slave you are. Uh, righteousness leading to life or, or death, uh, a sin leading to death. Verse 17, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of our flesh. I say our there. For just as you presented our, your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Isn't it interesting how, how, how sin becomes unsatisfying? So you do more. You know that, that first donut tasted so good? So you have another one. Oh, and that third one's so good. But after a while, you're starting to think, man, why did I eat that? There's consequences to your choices, right? And, and, and worse sins seem satisfying for a while, but after a while, they're no longer. And so you do more and more. It's kind of like hot sauce. Pastor Mike, I was thinking about you. You know, when you eat a spicy food and your mouth is burning just a little bit, but not that bad, and you can't stop. You say, well, the only way to make my mouth feel better is to keep eating it. Right? And then you eat more, and then you eat more, and then you eat more. It's like, oh, where's the Tums? <laughs> Sin is like that, right? So, so you, you go down a path of lawlessness, which leads to more lawlessness. Um, don't do that anymore, God is saying. He's saying, now present your members as slaves of righteousness. And the more righteous you walk, you lead ultimately unto holiness. And God said, be holy, for I am holy. Your father said, be holy to you his children because he is holy. If we are to represent the Father on the earth, we need to be holy. And righteousness leads to holiness. Verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? Pause on that for a moment because there again you see that repentance coming in here. You are now ashamed of what you used to do or at least you used to be ashamed of it. When you first came to Christ and you realized, wow, I, I need to stop doing this stuff. But over time, that stuff can creep back in, can't it? And you know what stuff I'm talking about. It's probably different for all of you, or maybe not. But it doesn't matter. You are now ashamed of that. And the end of those things you understand is death, verse 22. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. Verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Every time I read that, I always think of my German teacher in high school. He would look at me, we only had six or seven people in that class, and he'd point his bony finger and say, Hey, Uda, the wages of sin is death, because he would be yelling at me for acting up. <laughs> the wages of sin is death. He'd say it in German, and I don't remember the words, but I remember that bony finger and that fear, and I was like, what are you talking about? Because I wasn't a Christian then. But now I see it and I go, oh, now I get it. Anyway, so I, I digress. The wages of sin is death. If you think about Adam and Eve in the garden, they had life. They disobeyed. Through their disobedience, sin entered. And by sin, death. And that death was separation from God. So the wages of sin, sin has to be paid. 
But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's hone in on a couple points here. And then we're going to get into how to repent from this stuff. There is so much to unpack here. But what I want to point out in verse 22. It says we are set free from the dominion of sin. We're set free. That means we don't have to. When you are under the dominion of sin, when you are under the authority of sin, you did sin because you were a sinner. And you couldn't avoid it. You, you, that was just who you were. That was your old nature. But now you have a new nature. And that old nature no longer has dominion or authority over you unless you give it to them. So you're free. You don't have to sin. It also says... We're not free unto ourselves, but we're slaves to God. And I think that's the key point in the church today is that we are not delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Gordon and the kingdom of Debbie and the kingdom of John. We are delivered into the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So we don't get to then say, well, I'm king. Yes, you are a king within the kingdom. You are subject to the king of kings. So it's important that you don't think I'm delivered. Now I can live the way I want. I can do what I want to do. God tells me to do something. Oh, maybe, maybe not. Devil tells me, try this. Maybe, maybe not. I'm, I'm king in my life. In the kingdom of God, there's only one king. One ultimate king. One ultimate authority. So you've been delivered from the, kingdom, from the, from the authority of sin into the authority of God. Now look, the fruit of our obedience to God is righteousness unto holiness. And that's in this life. That's a change that has to come about in this life because it goes on to say the end of this life, we step into that everlasting life. So he's talking about this life, holiness and righteousness here. And boy, if, I mean, the world needs to see that. And that's what we agreed already that they're not seeing enough of in us. And lastly, again, to point out that this is a gift. So no matter how hard you try to live righteously and no matter how good a job you do at it, you can't earn your salvation. You can't earn your way into heaven. This is a gift. So you need to receive the gift and then walk in it. And that keeps you from getting spiritually proud. And uh, uh, holier than thou, if you will. Okay, First Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. Here's a simpler version of it. And we all know this verse, but probably from a different context. It says, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Now, most all of us here in this church look to that verse and rejoice because we know our healing has been paid for by his stripes. But how many of you meditate on this, live for righteousness, died to sins? That's a part and parcel of your by his stripes we are healed or we're healed. So we need to recognize that, that he did take our sins on the body so that we, having died to sins, the baptism, can live unto righteousness and then by his stripes we were also healed, made whole, complete, shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken, spirit, soul, and body. So genuine right, uh, righteousness, and this is important, genuine righteousness in all meekness and humility 
empowered by love, will have fruit unto holiness. It will draw men toward God. It will also draw persecution from those who are threatened by it. And it will bring glory to God. So those are some of the things we should look for if we're starting to walk in this righteousness. Are, 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 we, are we bearing fruit unto holiness? Are, we, are, are men being drawn to us? Men and people, I mean by that, right? Are they seeing something that you're different? Right? I remember years ago when our oldest son was on the high school basketball team. He said, you know, Dad, he said, you know, the, guy, the guys noticed that I don't swear on the court. Well, it's an example of, 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 of a difference, you know, that he, that he had in him uh, that others noticed. I had the opportunity today to talk to my team. I said, you know, somebody was talking about Halloween. What do you do? I love Halloween. I don't love Halloween. I had the opportunity to say, well, our church does a great thing out in the, in the parking lot where we, we decorate our cars and, and we bring the neighborhood in and, and we, just, we just celebrate, you know, together and, and, and have a lot of fun and offer some, some free candy to the neighbors, get them off the street and, and keep them safe. And so, of course, we don't, you know, we don't do the ghouls and goblins and things like that. And they're, oh, okay, of course, that makes sense. That sounds nice, right? But it just, again, it's an opportunity to be different. So, so, so it should draw people unto God. And then if you're getting persecuted, not ridiculed, you know, or them born ends, like we talked about, but persecuted because somebody's threatened, you, you know you're in the right place. And God will bring you through that. All right. So righteousness is living as Christ lived on the earth. But how? You all look at yourself. You know yourself. You know yourself pretty well. You don't know yourself as well as God knows you. <laughs> but think about yourself. You know, how, how are you going to walk around like Jesus walked? Is that possible? Right? I mean, that's what he wants us to do because he said when he comes back for us, we will be like him. How are we going to do that? We're going to do it with the Holy Spirit. We can't do it by willpower. We can't do it by seven-step programs. We can't do it by uh, any kind of working up of the emotion or phenomenal preaching by the pastors. We're going to do it by the Holy Spirit. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5. We'll start in verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. He goes on to explain now what... what, what what it looks like to walk in the flesh. He said, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. It kind of covers everything else you can think of. Of which I tell you beforehand... Just as I told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's our topic, right? The kingdom of God. So folks who walk that way will not enter the kingdom of God. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's sobering. Many are called, but few 
are chosen. Few choose that narrow path. He goes in verse 22 and he explains the contrary. He says, but, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there, there is no law. And those who are Christ have been crucified. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Remember we talked about your entrance into the kingdom of God. How do you enter? It's by being born of the Spirit. So that Spirit comes and lives inside of you. He's there already. And in your new birth, you're exuberant, you're trying to do your best, and you're stumbling and fumbling, and it's okay, he picks you up. But most of the folks I'm talking to tonight are not babies in terms of your age with the Lord. But sometimes we still act like it. So it's really important that we understand that we have the Spirit in there to help us to change. We're not just saying that we have the Spirit in us. We are living it. We are walking it out. We are alive in the Spirit. Here's an easy way. You know, so I sometimes go deep and then we'll bring it back out to an easy one. James 4.17 says, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. How often have you said, I should give to that new wine church down in New Orleans. Forgot again. How often have you said, I should bless that person instead of walking to the other side of the street and you didn't do it. If you know to do good and you didn't do it, that's sin. You know, we, we, I think I can testify for myself, you know, it's been weeks since I've committed a murder. You know, adultery hasn't come across my path, right? I'm doing okay. But what about contentions? Any jealousies? How often have you started to gossip about somebody in the church? You don't really call it gossip. You're just sharing the truth. It's just the truth, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's just a fact. I mean, this person did this, this, and this. It's not really gossip. But now your flesh starts to turn a little bit. Wow. She really agreed with me. Yeah, and then, and then did you see what she did after that? Can you believe that? Oh, wow, you're really on board with me. Let's keep this going. So gossip and sin leads to more sin, more lawlessness, more death. Same is true of righteousness. If you know to do good and do it, you'll do more good. And you'll find that joy. It's a changing of your mind. Changing of the way you see things. Recognize sin for what it is. See it when it approaches you. Because you don't have to submit to it. You can say no. I am a child of God and the Holy Spirit in me will help me to say no to that. Now we have to recognize that This sounds easy, but it isn't always. We have to recognize that that change is sometimes a process. You know how many times have you said in Jesus' name, I will never do that again, and then you did it. Paul talked about that. Like the very things I want to do, I don't do. The very things I don't want to do, I want to do. So, So realize that this is sometimes a journey. It's a process. But don't give up. Press in. Press in, because you will overcome. No matter how deeply rooted the causes of your desires are that drive you to sinful behavior, and there are some deep ones, 
There are some hurts, there's some wounds, there's some hungers, there's some loneliness. There, there, there's some things in you and in me that, that, that can really cause that temptation to be very, very real. And we need to recognize that. But ultimately, the origin of all sin is separation from God. It started when man was separated from God. Through his disobedience, sin entered the world and by sin, death. So, so, so that separation from God is the root cause of anything that has to do with sin that's unrighteous. That separation. Doesn't it make sense that the reconnection with God is the solution? That the Holy Spirit now coming into you is the solution to those things that drive you to act wrong? It's that relationship. So you say, yes, I'm saved, but now I'm saved by this relationship that I have that I can actually walk out this salvation on the earth today because I'm reconnected to the one who's righteous. That's good news. That's good news. So no matter what the therapist says, no matter what the doctor says, no matter what your mind says, ultimately get connected with that spirit who is in you already. Let him bubble up inside you and give you the direction, give you the love, give you the correction that you need. Receive it with joy. Receive it, even if it's painful for a while, and walk it out. And that sin has to flee. The Bible does not say resist the devil and he will flee from you. The Bible does say submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So it's important that we know who God is, what he's saying to us, and submit to that. And then we have the power to resist him, and that temptation will flee. Look at Jesus. I mean, when he went out for 40 days and nights in, in, in the wilderness and hadn't eaten, he was hungry, the Bible says. Now, now some truths are obvious. Right after 40 days, he was hungry. And the devil came and said, look, if you're the son of God, you know, change these stones into bread. But what did Jesus do? He, he submitted to the Father. He said, no, I, I only do what the Word of God says. I only do what the Father says. I'm, I'm not going to do that. Right? So he was able to resist the devil, and ultimately the devil had to leave to find a more opportune time. So you can do this, and I can do this. So it's important that we learn how to Resist sin and walk in righteousness. Again, that can seem overwhelming. I just want to summarize this, and I think we'll probably end here shortly. Um, because, because this is a very, very important part, and that is that, that if you give up, if you say, well, I'm only human, you have just lied. You are not mere men. You have the Spirit of God in you, and because of that, you are a child of God. We read those scriptures in the beginning to remind ourselves of who we are and that relationship we have with God. And empowered by God, by the Holy Spirit, you now have the ability to live righteously. It's good. And when you do, righteousness, peace, and joy will come, not only to you, but to me and to all of us as we all start to walk this out. Let that little spark right here in this room start tonight. Let it spread to the rest of the congregation on Sundays. Let it touch with all the other congregations in the area. Suddenly you're going to have a revival breaking out right here in New England. Because we have the fear of the Lord, we have the spirit of the Lord, and we have a repentance that recognizes we're not living right today. We have to change. 
And it's going to be amazing what God's going to do through us. James 3.18 says, Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so what we're going to talk about next week is peace and joy. If we're not experiencing peace and joy, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, then we're not representing the kingdom of God. So next week we'll talk about peace and joy what it means, what the spiritual truths are, and how we can walk in those so that we can put that whole package together and then start to represent the God the way he wants us to represent him. Make sense? Praise God. All right, so we have a couple of things that we have the privilege to do tonight as we close out the service. The first one is that we get to invite people to join the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know, we're not, uh, we're not online tonight, but is there anyone here who would say to me that you have never asked Jesus to be king, your king? You have never asked him to be your Lord. You have never seen for sure for yourself that you want him to be your Lord. Is there anyone that would say to me, and just raise your hand if there is. Um, it looks like everybody here has done that. Okay. If you haven't and you want to, you know, come down and see me right after and we can pray and we'll invite the Holy Spirit to come in to your heart and to refresh you, take out that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. If that's something you want to do and you haven't done it before, um, come on down and see me after and we will pray together for that. Another part of being in the kingdom of God is that we have the privilege to, to sow into the kingdom. You know, there's a spirit of sowing and reaping. In fact, we talked a bit about it tonight without actually saying it. When you sow into a sinful life, you reap more. If you sow into a righteousness of a life of righteousness, you reap holiness. We now also get to sow into the kingdom with our finances. And that's a wonderful opportunity to show God how much you love him. It's not that you can buy your salvation. You can't buy anyone else's salvation. It's nothing to do with that. It's just a matter of obedience because God said give. He said bring the tithes into the storehouse. So just be obedient. Bring your tithes in. And give offerings, a love offering, as you feel led by the Lord to give more. If, it's, if you know to do right and you do it, it's righteousness. If you know to do right and you don't do it, it's sin to you. So if the Lord is putting on your heart to give additional to your normal offerings, give. And it will come back to you, pressed down, shaking together, and running over. But your motive is not to give to get. Your motive is to give to bless. So let's pray over that. Uh, obviously, there's several ways you can give. You can, you can text your, your giving. You can go online. You can uh, increase your, your offering online. You can send a check in. You can bring it in uh, however you like to do it. There's a basket in the back if you'd like to drop an envelope there. Uh, happy to receive however you want to give. But ultimately, you're not giving to me or to Pastor John or, or really to this church. You're giving to the kingdom of God.